It's Monday, February 7th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The situation in Ukraine remains tense as Russia has assembled at least 70% of the forces they would need to launch a full-scale invasion. Officials worry that there could be a huge amount of casualties and the Ukraine capital could fall quickly. With the Winter Games as a backdrop, Russia and China have expressed support for each other. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News, joins us for this, criticism of the COVID protocols at the Games, and the RNC censuring of representatives Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. Next, the condiment business is hyper-competitive, and one of the major players in the spice game, McCormick, has been making acquisitions to take over the world of hot sauce. They recently bought Frank's Red Hot and Cholula in deals worth millions of dollars each. The pandemic proved to be beneficial for McCormick, as many people stayed in and cooked more at home, but they were not immune to supply chain issues that affected the industry. Austin Carr, features writer at Bloomberg Businessweek, joins us for the fight for hot sauce supremacy. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. We continue to urge diplomacy as the best way forward. But with Russia's continuing its buildup of its forces um, around Ukraine, we are ready no matter what happens. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about some of the latest when it comes to Russia and Ukraine. We're hearing that Russia has assembled 70% of the forces they would need to launch a full-scale invasion of Ukraine. And, you know, officials are worried if this goes through, there could be a huge amount of casualties and that the the Ukraine capital of Kiev could fall within a couple of days even. So um, tensions still remain high and it just seems like President Putin is just throwing everything he can to, to be close to the border there. That's right. So U.S. officials have been warning for weeks now that Russia is imminently preparing to attack Ukraine. There's lots of things that they've pointed to. You, you mentioned the, the scale of the troops that have surrounded the country. You can also look at the fact that they've brought in blood that would be used to treat injured soldiers. That was another warning that the U.S. had that things might be coming soon. And the other is the ground. So U.S. military officials believe that if Russia invades, it would be while the ground is still frozen. And we know that traditionally, historically, the ground starts to thaw in March. Uh, so there's a lot of thought that if it's going to happen, if they're setting it up, they're going to do it within the coming weeks before we get into March. So we're hearing these warnings again from the U.S. that they believe that they're going to attack. And let's also remember that it's not just ground forces they could be using. Right. Yes, they've got a lot of troops lined up, but they could launch missiles from uh, their own country. They could launch an air war. And there's a lot of concern that they could use cyber attacks to really bring down lots of important infrastructure in Ukraine. All of this is happening in the backdrop of the Winter Olympics. And at the opening ceremonies, we saw Vladimir Putin and President Xi Jinping of China put on kind of a united front supporting each other. China was supporting Moscow's uh, demands that NATO stop their expansion and Moscow was supporting uh, China, saying that uh, Taiwan should not have any independence. 
These are two leaders that are very much on the same page and very much in opposition to American interests. So they appeared together. They held a summit in Beijing where Putin had traveled to attend the opening ceremonies of the Olympics. And keep in mind, the U.S. is engaging in a diplomatic boycott of these Olympics. So there are no American officials there. Forget our president or other high-ranking officials. Um, And this is really a, a showing of solidarity that they're in agreement you know, Jing doesn't want to be told how to handle Taiwan or Hong Kong, and Putin wants to do what Putin wants to do. And so they both <laughs> right. feel like the, the international community uh, should not be pressuring them as they uh, have these d- very difficult uh, uh, international relations. It, it goes beyond just opposition to the West. Uh, Russia and China just scored a, a new gas deal uh, worth $117 billion. So they're in business together there. Um, so, I mean, they have a lot of aligned interests. They do have a lot of aligned interests. Now, the U.S. would say that they don't need to be at the Olympics to be having conversations, that we have regular diplomatic channels with Beijing, and that the president has spoken to Putin recently, as well as Secretary Blinken, who's been in communication and regular talks with Russia's foreign minister. They continue to insist that they're trying to find a diplomatic solution to the crisis in Ukraine, uh, but they're not there yet. And so um, they say diplomatic talks continue. They obviously have not continued in Beijing Uh, But they are happening maybe in other places and on on the phone. Let's stick with the Olympics a little bit more. I've been watching some of it on TV. Everything seems to be going fine. But behind the scenes, we're hearing a little bit of frustration with what's going on with COVID protocols. China has this zero COVID strategy. They're putting foreign visitors and the participants, the Olympic participants, in what's called a closed loop. So everybody's testing every day, but people are taking issue with things like the quarantine hotels. If you do test positive, lack of food, no training equipment. Behind the scenes are getting a a lot of negative uh, press right now. That's right. So if you have been following how China has responded to the pandemic that started in their country, these are really strict measures. So uh, if rates start to get too high on a, in a neighborhood, they'll lock down immediately and with no warning an entire neighborhood, not allowing people to go outside. And so they've really taken what are, are really drastic measures to try to contain the virus. And in doing so with the Olympics, they're trying to keep visitors, Olympians, um, staff, people who are coming in to cover the Olympics completely separate from local residents so that they have no interaction with one another. And then, as you mentioned, there's been quite a bit of criticism of how they're treating these people. They're making them take COVID tests. We don't know what the measure that they're applying. You know, if there's one tiny speck of a virus from someone who maybe had the virus a month or two ago and have cleared it and don't have a level that anyone would consider contagious. They're doing throat swabs, which are not something anywhere else in the world is really using. And like you mentioned, these tiny hotel rooms, they're putting world-class Olympians in them and they're not giving them any training equipment. And we've heard a lot of criticism from other nations that uh, they need better facilities and they need to be able to train while they're there uh, because they're hoping to get their negative tests and be able to compete before the Olympics are over. Finally, briefly, I just wanted to bring up the uh, RNC did formally vote to censure representatives uh, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. Uh, over their work in investigating the January 6th Capitol riots. Some Republicans are speaking out against it. But once again, it just seems like people are taking sides over what happened that day and, you know, just over President Trump, really, too. 
It really is all about President Trump. I mean, you know, we saw the RNC in this center said that Adam Kinzinger and Cheney were sort of going after people who were engaged in, quote, legitimate political discourse. No one thinks that the people who attacked the Capitol in a violent mob that attacked police officers were engaged in legitimate discourse. We heard that criticism from many Republicans after that resolution was passed. But this is what Donald Trump is saying now. This is what Donald Trump's rhetoric has become. And this is, you know, we recently heard him promise or suggest he might pardon all of the people who were involved in that riot and who attacked police officers in the Capitol. So this is really just a testament to where the Republican Party is going. And that's in lockstep with Donald Trump still, as we saw with this resolution. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Hot sauce is a huge growth industry right now, and that explains why McCormick's really going deep on this this love for, for low-calorie heat that, that's really taken off, especially among uh, millennial consumers. Joining us now is Austin Carr, features writer at Bloomberg Businessweek. Thanks for joining us, Austin. Thanks for having me. I love stories about food. I love stories about the business of food, and I love me some sauces. So this uh, story was right up my alley. We're going to be talking about McCormick spices. So everybody who's bought vanilla extract, pepper, I mean, a ton of different spices, you most likely have bought McCormick's at one point in your life. But this story is about them venturing off into more than just uh, the spice rack. They really big on getting into the sauce game, the hot sauce game specifically. They purchased Frank's Red Hot. They purchased Cholula. They purchased French's Mustard. Uh, which I currently have in my fridge right now. So this is just kind of uh, them looking for lots of growth, lots of expansion, and they really want to uh, to go big on the hot sauce side of things. So, Austin, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, that's totally right. As, as you noted, uh, McCormick, known for all its seasonings and spices and, and those red caps that you see in your, your grandparents' pantry, but in recent years, they've really going after the sauce market. And yeah, French's, they also own Stubbs Barbecue, they own Old Bay. And they also develop a lot of products for other companies. If you've ever had uh, Cool Ranch Doritos or Bud Light Lime, they were the the company behind that that flavor uh, development. But with Hot Sauce specifically and their purchase of of Frank's Red Hot and Cholula Hot Sauce, that's really going after the the big, huge growth in the global uh, hot sauce market. In the last six or seven years, we've seen global hot sauce sales rise about 54% to about $5 billion uh, around the planet. Uh, In the U.S. specifically, it's actually the, the the hot sauce market is roughly on par as of the as of last year with ketchup, which is pretty shocking. One would think Heinz ketchup, those sort of major sales are bigger than hot sauce, but hot sauce is a huge growth industry right now, and that explains why McCormick's really going deep on this this love for for low calorie heat that that's really taken off, especially among uh, millennial consumers. Yeah, and as you mentioned in the in the article, right? I mean, this is uh, all the very hyper competitive business, just the sauce market in general. And uh, I just like the wording, right? To become big hot sauce, you need to fight big ketchup first, you know, referring to Heinz just because they have such a a huge uh, control over the market with ketchup specifically. But uh, let's talk about uh, these acquisitions that they made because they're very interesting. I want to throw the dollar amounts out there. They first started off with Frank's Red Hot and French's Mustard. That was kind of a combo deal. And then after that, they went after Cholula. So let's start start with Frank's uh, Red Hot. Then let's get into Cholula. Yeah, the, the deal with uh, French's and, and Frank's, that was actually for $4.2 billion. So 
in the food world, those are gigantic prices. You might yeah. hear about that that sort of investment when it comes to the tech world. And so when when I when I talked about these purchases with analysts, they they really consider, compare these things to the equivalent of you know when Facebook bought Instagram. It's it's sort of the, that level of scale that we're talking in terms of the risk, the bet that they're making on these brands. Then fast forward to November 2020, they decided to go after Cholula Hot Sauce. For, and they, they spent about $800 million. And according to our sources, they outbid Heinz for that. Uh, Heinz, of course, you might not realize it, that they're known for ketchup uh, and a ton of, you know, the Heinz sort of 57 brand. But they also own Grey Poupon, A1, Miracle Whip, if you like, uh, Leon Perrin's Worcestershire sauce. You know, they're sort of this arsenal portfolio player in the sauce market, and we're interested in hot sauce just as much as McCormick. But the McCormick put up more money. They bought Cholula, and now they control about a third of the U.S. hot sauce market yeah. between Franks, which is number one, and Cholula, which is now number two ahead of Tabasco. It's just nuts, really. And, you know, the, the people that were at McCormick's that were trying to get this deal going, they said, hey, you know, we want to go big. We want to do this. They got approval from everybody. They said, go for it. And what was the deal? It was $800 million was the bid that they put down? $800 million uh, cash cash offer. So this was really a, a deal that was designed to stop a bidding war from happening. In other words, you don't want Heinz counter-offering, uh, you know, and so by, by put, throwing out this big offer, you're not going to see another one countering at a billion or two billion. You know, Cholula sells about $100 million of hot sauce a year. So already the multiple there is pretty big, at least in the food world. Um, so this was really a big deal. And since then, they have seen a lot of growth. McCormick has huge distribution channels with restaurants around the country, uh, with retailers like Walmart and Amazon. And so for them to sort of go from take this Cholula, which is was owned by a private equity firm and, you know, wasn't a portfolio play beforehand, and now throw it into all these restaurants, whether that's in bottles or in what are called sachets. Those are those little squeeze packs you see when you tear them open and pour it on your, your, your chicken wings or fries. And uh, you're going to see that a lot more in the coming years, especially in grocery stores. That's why I love these stories, right? You kind of uh, uh, grow to love certain brands and then, yeah, you start seeing it in certain restaurants Then you're seeing it everywhere. And you kind of don't know the history behind it. And and in some cases, who makes uh, or who owns these properties, right? Because for Cholula specifically, McCormick's doesn't put any of their branding on it, which is, I mean, it's probably smart on their side, right? They just want to keep it in the minds of the consumers. This has always been Cholula. It comes from Mexico, all this stuff. So they don't even put their branding on there. That's correct. And, and, and that's actually, a, it's a pretty smart branding opportunity. I mean, when you think about it, you go to the grocery store, you look at that huge shelf of condiments and sauces uh, and dressings, and you're really choosing not just the taste, but also sort of the memory of that brand. The, the sort of dispensing mechanism is very important. How the bottle looks, the cap. That's why with, with Cholula, a lot of people know it as much for the flavor of that sort of spicy sauce uh, that sort of goes with anything flavor, but they also know it for that distinctive wooden cap, yep. the, the sort of slender glass bottle. And if you look at a lot of the other big companies, you know, we think of Hellman's Mayo, you know that blue and white jar, but you might not know it's owned by Unilever. You know, Sir Kensington, which is sort of fancy mayo and ketchup, also owned by Unilever. And with, you know, uh, you could think of Hunt's Ketchup, Golden's Mustard, Wishbone Dressing for Ranch. Those are all owned by ConAgra, another big food giant. So a lot of these companies out there, they realize the benefit of 
making these products almost seem like independent, family-run, bespoke brands when they're actually these sort of giant food conglomerates. <laughs> right. They're sort of partnering up. So when you go to a ski resort or a, a buffet line, you see their brands all together at the end of the uh, the food aisle rather than Kraft or Unilever or McCormick or Conagra. They're all going after each other for those mix of flavors that they want consumers to lust after. Sure. And, and as you mentioned earlier, right, McCormick's had its hand in making, developing other things, Bud Light Lime and Cool Ranch Doritos. What am I favorite ones too. I had Absolutely. no 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 clue they had a hand in that. I did want to talk about the pandemic, supply chains and COVID, all that, because that's an interesting thing too. They were seeing a lot of increase in sales at US stores. Obviously people were cooking at home, needed to stock up their pantries. They did have all these deals with restaurants and some of that dried up, but the sales for grocery stores was increasing so much. And then they ran into the supply chain issues for a lot of their stuff, turmeric, which they need for the mustard, just a ton of different things on the uh, different angles on this front. So tell us about that. It was a really fascinating thing. I mean, I think at the beginning of the pandemic, rewind the clock. I know it's been so many years at this point, but back to that February, March period when no one quite knew how big of a threat the COVID-19 situation would be. And for McCormick, they're seeing restaurants close. They're seeing factories close. And and this could be a really disruptive force in their industry. But then the opposite happened. All of a sudden, as you noted, sales of turmeric, which a lot of people use for for health reasons or because it's what gives the yellow color to, to spicy yellow mustard and French's, broth, because people are cooking soup at home, baked goods like vanilla, all these things taking off. So at, at this real whiplash moment for McCormick, where they have to keep up with the demand at the same time as all these factories are closing, it was a real crazy few months uh, going on to a year. And specifically with turmeric, the U.S. almost ran out of mustard for a time. Uh, back in sort of the, the grilling season over the summer, they were running low on their reserves for some of the ingredients like turmeric that goes into French's, partly because ocean freight, all those ocean freighters were either not running or closed down or over capacity. So they actually had to rush an emergency air cargo shipment of turmeric, and it landed inadvertently in Baltimore instead of at a French's factory in Missouri. So they had to hire all these truckers overnight to drive it a thousand miles to the French's factory in time for a production run. Otherwise, uh, who knows, we might not have mustard on our (laughs) our hot dog, which sounds small, but for a lot of people, these are comfort foods. And and that was a big deal during the pandemic, especially if you're your parents with kids at home and you got to keep them entertained with food. Yeah. I, I mean, that sucks for, you know, McCormick's the parent company at this point for all of this It sucks for them to have to go through that. But I, man, I kind of love hearing that, uh, you know, the scramble, right? For consumers, we don't really know what's going on. You might hear there's a shortage of this or that, but this was the scramble to get people the products that they know and love and want. So what's next for McCormick's, at least with uh, this growth potential into hot sauces and other sauces and all these acquisitions they're looking for? What's next for them? You know, I think what's next is now that they have this massive buildup of brands that are all owned by the same company, but seemingly run independently, at least when it comes to grocery sales, you're going to see a lot more mashups. You know, um, Heinz, for example, they're (laughs) they're doing a lot of mashup products, and it's not just ketchup anymore, but they mix it with, you know, all types of, uh, I think they have Ketchelli, so, uh, you know, Heinz ketchup, mayo, they have mayo chop, honey racha, tar chop, cranch, so it sort of blends of ketchup and ranch dressing and uh, sriracha and, and, and so forth. <laughs> Buffer and Ranch you're gonna see, was one of them <laughs> Buffer Ranch, another yeah. one, a part of what Heinz calls their innovation agenda. And so uh, what you might see in the, the coming years are 
perhaps some mashups between Cholula and French's. So you have a sort of spicier mustard or, you know, Old Bay, uh, which is that popular Baltimore seafood seasoning that's mixed with hot sauce these days, very popular. And so maybe there's going to be more of that. And so the question is, how far do you take that before it sort of ruins some of the brand cachet? Do you want Cholula showing up on Taco Bell menus at McDonald's and so forth? On the other hand, I think a lot of people might like that stuff because, you know, everyone's hungry and, and, and these types of products, they can really go on anything. Austin Carr, features writer at Bloomberg Businessweek. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. <laughs>